This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 163. Today on our show, Kent Mulcahy, host of the Cincinnati Library Podcast Facebook Live series, my favorite album is terrible. Yeah, Screamo is that genre that I dipped my toe into for a while. I was probably right on the cusp of being too old for it, right when Uh, it started becoming a thing with bands like Thursday and Thrice and things like that but I, I so sometimes I'm like I, I don't know if I'm going to listen to that anymore but I was way into it. Kent is the Grants Resources Librarian at the Cincinnati Public Library. He explains a bit about that and also discusses the two podcasts he works on for the library. How he went from music major to librarian and a whole lot more. It's a, a lot more about music. We talk a lot about music. <laughs> if you've been liking the podcast you can help support it by PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts Also, be sure to listen for that special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Now let's talk about music, the library, and more with Kent Mulcahy. And then where we usually start off with is uh, going through, of course, our guest's Cincinnati bona fides. So um, <laughs> are, are you from Cincinnati? No, I am not from Cincinnati. I am from uh, Jessamine County, Kentucky. And if I were a little bit more tired than I am now, my accent from there would probably start coming through. But uh, Jessamine County is right below Lexington, Kentucky. I moved up here in 2009, 2008, 2009 to do classical guitar at the College Conservatory of Music. Oh, wow. Okay. So were you a musical kid growing up then? Was that kind of the plan or was did you have other interest and that just happened to be one of them that, that took you somewhere um i don't know if it was the plan i mean yeah i was always yeah i was always musical always way way super into music i think <laughs> my first guitar professor once said the only reason you would go into music as a career or for school is if you can't do anything else and <laughs> that's in a way, it was kind of it. It was like, well, nothing else interests me. I'm just not really being serious about other routes of college. So, yeah, I guess I'll do music. And okay. yeah, that's where it went. So, a fan of classical music growing up then? Or were you uh, just a rock and roll kid but learned? Because a buddy of mine that I was kind of in a band with, he was trained classically. You know, but we, we played the rock and roll, of course. So uh, The rock and roll, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, definitely not classical. Uh, growing up, started out country music okay. uh, for a while until uh, I saw a kid wearing, you know, the bad kid in school wearing, he had a Nirvana shirt and a Cannibal Corpse shirt, and it was just kind of over after that. But no, like, I think this is reductive, but I think a lot of classical guitarists, a lot of them are folks like me who, like, they're really the only thing that they care about in life is guitar. Yeah. And once you decide I want to make a career out of it, it it's kind of tough to make a strictly rock 
career. So you've got to have that sheet music meeting. Yeah. You got to have the music theory. So you go, you learn the jazz, you learn the classical, and that kind of opens up other worlds for you. Yeah, I guess that's true. When I think about it, with think about my rock history, because even your good session players are usually mm-hmm. really well trained. And uh, there's that famous scene in um, Love and Mercy, the Brian Wilson uh, uh, like a biopic, I guess, mm-hmm. where uh, they're all asking him these questions. And, and the one lady, I'm going to get this wrong. She goes, they're playing A minor. I'm playing D major. These are, those aren't the right notes, but they're play- she's playing one note. Everyone else is playing another. And she's, she's going, how does that work? And he goes, well, it works in my head. And they finally understand it, even though he isn't classically trained. He just knows those things go together. So I guess to kind of work with people that are with savants like that, I guess you would have to be uh, well-trained in music theory and all that. Like as my buddy took music theory courses and all that, even though he wound up being a biologist. But um, he took all those as his, uh, his electives. So. Yeah, no, the music theory goes a long way. I mean, I, you can kind of get a snooty attitude about it in some circles. Like I, I think it was, you know, was it Henry Rollins that talked about this, talking about Black Flag, or I'm going to get this all wrong, but, uh, <laughs> you know, someone's like, I, I don't learn music theory because I don't like to follow rules. And I think my argument to that would be, how do you know what rules you're breaking if you don't know what the rules are? So, like, I love music that is completely untrained and borderline noise, and I also love super meticulous, obsessive, crafted stuff as well. There you go. So you said you you were country music, and then it switched over to Nirvana and Cannibal Corpse and people like that. Did you, I'm always curious about this because I, I guess I'm in the minority when it comes to this. Just knowing anecdotally speaking, did you abandon country music from there, or did you still like it, but then like this new thing too? I abandoned it for a while, hmm. and because the second that you know I heard vocalists that sounded like Cookie Monster instead of singing actual notes, I was <laughs> like, well that kind of stuff is what my parents listen to. So, you know, once I discovered that, I'm like, no, absolutely no country for a long time. And so then, you know, I get older, kind of start getting back into it a little bit, but there's a firm cutoff point for me of mid nineties country, but I go back and I, I, you know, I'll listen to some of that stuff, but I'm totally out of the loop on things much after that. Hmm. See, I guess I, I don't know if I'm, I always describe myself as a, as a terrible music fan, but uh, I always notice looking back with my wife and there's, there's this guy I used to work with said this, and I, I've never abandoned anything that I listen to. They're very little. Uh, my buddy and I, when we were 13, 14, uh, we would hang out in his basement and we, he, we listened to the Foreigner album, whichever one has uh, uh, Cold as Ice on it. Yeah. I liked it just fine. But yeah. now I don't like Foreigner at all. I hate, but that they're really about the only one. I mean, if I liked it when I was a kid, I'll still go back and listen to it now. I still like, I love Hollow Notes. Even though, I see, I'm a new wave daddy from way back. That's, sure. And I like alternative music, but I still love, you know, anything, even even the country kick I went on in the late 70s when I was 12, largely due to Smoking the Bandit and Jerry Reed, thank you. <laughs> still love Eastbound and Down and all that stuff I was listening to. I don't, I didn't, oh, I was so stupid for liking that stuff. But a lot of people are. My wife has soured on all kinds of people she used to love like her favorite fan she no longer loves them she goes oh, i don't want to listen to them anymore. i'm tired of them and that just seems so weird to me well what is that you can't just say that what band is it oh uh you too she soured on um oh, she, she famously well, for the music show she, i think we're going to talk about we're going to cover a u2 album um in the next two weeks oh yeah which one's that can you say u2 pop from uh, 1997 okay. yeah she uh, i mean i liked u2 just fine all the way through 
Um, that was never a huge U2 fan, but she like she famously was kissed by Bono, and it's a funny story. Uh, it was at it was at Cleveland. Uh, they play. This is before I was into them. Uh, we grew up a couple suburbs apart and didn't meet till college. But um, she was in high school. She went to U two. Saw them at Cleveland Public Hall, and uh, everyone's waiting outside for them. This is 1983. No one really knows who they are. Uh, this is it's a pretty big venue for them to be playing in the United States, even as it is. Anyway, she says they're all in the corner. Uh, they're outside of Cleveland Public Hall, and everyone's waiting for the band. And and my wife walks down to the other corner, and she peeks around the corner and says, "They're over here! They're over here!" Every the whole mob runs that way. She goes to the stage door. Out pops the four of them, and the fur, he uh, Bono gives her a hug and peck on the cheek. That is amazing. Yeah, like yeah. Eighty-three. Eighty-three. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Biggest U2 fan either, but I think War is undeniable, and I do like Octoon Baby. My favorite Those album are, is a live album. Is uh, Under, a Blood Red, Home. Under a Blood Red Sky. Oh, Under a Blood Red Sky. Yeah, yeah. that's what got me into yeah. them. I was in high. I'd, I'd seen them on MTV a little bit, and thought these guys are cool. And then they started playing. Uh, like I saw the video for Gloria, and I liked that tune. But then when they played the version from Under a Blood Red Sky, I'm like, these guys are fantastic. And then, of course, seeing them, that, that was at Red Rocks and that, you know, of a lifelong dream independently of my wife and I to go see a concert at Red Rocks. So we finally saw Vampire Weekend there in 2019. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which if you can't see you two at, at Red Rocks, uh, I would say Vampire Weekend's the next best thing. Yeah, that, that would have been a killer show. Yeah, I've always wanted to go out there, too. You know, that's just that's just one of the destinations. Highly, highly recommended for you and for the listeners. And you can fly to Denver cheap now once, once everything is, you know, back to quote unquote normal. Um, you can, there's, a, I think at least two airlines that fly out of the city now directly to Denver, uh, fairly affordably. So yeah, I highly recommend it kids. I, I bet the uh, ticket prices for whatever show you go to there would be more than the uh, round trip flight at this point. But they it's... may be. We bought one set of tickets, uh, and then the other set were, cause I write for a website called the pop culture beast out in Los Angeles and they provided, I got tickets that way. So we were able to see both shows because they did, a. uh, Whenever they play more than one show in a city, they do two completely different set lists. So I was like, oh, wow. I said, we're coming all this way. We need to see both shows. <laughs> you say that you uh, you don't uh, grow out of or embarrassed by things. What about are there is there anything where maybe you listen to it because everyone else did, and then you realize a little bit later that maybe you didn't really enjoy it. Like oh, no. you know, I, the, when Corn came out, I would listen to corn and i would kind of be like just to tell people yeah i have the corn yeah. album and then you know a few years later i go back and i'm like oh no um yeah. uh, uh, the opposite <laughs> people liking it a lot and li- liking something a lot all of a sudden usually a big red flag for me um yeah. and that would be most of the 90s for me I, a lot of the mm-hmm. 90s stuff i like uh, people do not care for at all and a lot of the big 90s stuff the whole seattle thing just completely went by me and so, Oof. yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. that was just uh, th- very few presidents of the United States. All right, you know, I, you may, I don't dislike Nirvana and Pearl Jam tunes. I hear, but I'm not. It's not thing I'm I'm going to put on. I'm going to even have any of that stuff in my iTunes. Uh, come to think of it, and yes, I still have iTunes. Thank you very much. Um, I, I think it's hilarious you brought up presidents of the United States of America. My kid, he's he turns three on tax day, so you know he's young. His favorite artist band right now is Casper Baby Pants. And that is the singer of the presidents of the United States oh, okay. of America. Well, there he you does, go. It is amazing. Like I listen to it to listen to it sometimes and it's kids music. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's yeah. Well, the other uh, they might be giants did a bunch of uh, kid yep. kid albums too. So sure did. So yeah. So let me look, go backwards. So you come to Cincinnati to study, uh, not study classical guitar. To wait, is it to study class or is it to play professionally classical guitar? I, I I did a performance major. So yeah, it was. That's kind of the way you go if you're going if you have intentions to maybe become a classical guitar teacher at a college. Oh, okay. So, Yes, I did a performance degree. So where did you go to college? I started at UK right out of high school in 1999 or 2000, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do then. So it was kind of a, you know, an exploratory phase. Then when I decided to do music, I went to Eastern Kentucky University for my undergrad and then got my master's at uh, Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. Oh, there you go. Okay, super. All right. Now, then how do you make the leap from... Uh, doing that to working for the library. Yeah. So around the time that I was finishing up my master's degree at CCM, it, it kind of dawned on me, a few things dawned on me. You know, at one point you have to admit, you know, I, I don't know if I am honestly on the level to make a career out of playing. Right. Yeah. There are the people that are and the people that aren't. And I, you know, I worked really hard, but it was just like, I looked around, you know, some of the people coming in as freshmen at that school were just so good. I was like, all right, I kind of got to be realistic about this. And also I'd been practicing for eight or nine hours a day for 10 years by that point um, of classical stuff. And it's just, I was kind of, I guess, you know, it was just all this stuff of, you know, this is great. Maybe I'll make some money playing weddings and stuff, but I just, this is not the career for me. And I was already working part-time at the library and my spouse was a librarian at the time. And I grew up as a library kid and it was just, I really liked working for the Cincinnati public library. And I was just, you know what, this seems like a more grounded, doable, you know, realistic career, I guess is the right word. And so I started going to library school. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, that's um your uh your colleague Key kind of did the same thing, I mm. think. She uh she mm-hmm. kind of came to it later and had to but had to kind of finish off the education. I guess you have to go to a, mm-hmm. you have to get a separate degree for it, right? Yeah, you have to get a library science degree or an information science degree. Uh, uh, you know, they come in under different names, but yeah, you know, Key was more of the art route. You're you're going to see that from a lot of folks. A lot of folks go the art or the music route. Um, you know, English literature route, um, a lot of librarians seem to kind of make that jump from and, starting in there. And did you have an area of, of focus for, or is it, is it a, a, just a broad thing? And then once you get to a library, you kind of like find your way. You can choose paths, but you're not locked into one once you start it. Like I was, did most of the stuff to be a cataloging librarian. Like I thought I was going to be a basement dweller and just do the nerdy nitpicky details about editing book records so that they're more searchable for customers, okay. um, you know, link them together and find them. And then a job came up that was working with the public and I applied for it, or just a reference librarian job. I applied for it because I was like, well, I want to have the practice of a professional librarian interview. I wasn't even sure I wanted to work up with the public, but I got the job and uh, I ended up loving working up above ground with people. And so that's where I've stayed. <laughs> above ground with people. Yep. Um, <laughs> So that's it's kind of interesting where people's you know career paths lead them out of college. It's always fascinating where you think you're mm-hmm. going to do one thing, and then you wind up doing another. So hey, who do I complain to about the new library app? Uh, <laughs> <my>. Not me. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, you know we're 
admittedly, we, we know, you know, there's going to be a longer rollout process uh, for that. And there are some features that they've recently changed and updated. Like I had trouble freezing and unfreezing my holds for a minute there. Uh, but uh, there is a contact us form on the website. Okay, cool. <laughs> Look at that. I was just there yesterday. And well, first of all, I, I didn't even know there was a new app. I went to my old app and was trying yeah. to figure out, I held something on my uh, laptop. And then I went to just check it while I was running errands. Like, oh, stop by the library and see if my DVD is in. And so I'm checking it, and it's just spinning and spinning and spinning. I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know. And my wife said, well, maybe you need to update it. I'm like, well, no, it would tell me if it needs to be updated, but I'll go into the app store and look. And there's a whole new app. I'm like, oh, yep. okay. Well, then I discovered that you can't scan and go anymore. Yeah, and you know what? I'm probably the wrong person to okay. talk to about that since I'm in the building yeah, yeah. and I just grab my stuff and go. I will say we have a new tab on our new website, cincinnatilibrary.org, devoted to the library app, and it's okay. under the Quick Find section. Oh, nice. Okay, well, I'll check that out after the recording here <laughs> and, and complain accordingly. All right, so how did uh, so how did you get, get involved doing the, the podcast? Uh, my, my favorite album is Terrible. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's more of a kind of a it's more of a show. Uh, right now, it's not in the audio only podcast form. It's on Facebook Live, so it's more of a video a video thing. Okay, and it's I guess it's like yeah, I, I it seems like during the pandemic, everybody started a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Or everybody started something like this. So it came from, but yeah, I mean that's totally what it was. I, I'd kicked around the idea about doing a. Uh, a version of this for the library for a while, but in on March 13th, when everything went virtual, I was like, you know what, it's finally time to do this, which is also why you had mentioned uh, Colony Parks that I do the uh, West End Stories podcast with. That was going to be a visual thing, and then it turned into a podcast, but I was just trying to spin the wheels for virtual programming, so I decided to learn some stuff about video editing and finally start reaching out to people that I'd always wanted to reach out to to talk to. And, you know, things move slowly in this world. So finally, I got it off the ground a month ago. And so how many episodes are in the can so far? Three are up as of last night. And I have six more done. Okay. And they come out every other week on Thursdays at 8 o'clock on the library's Facebook Live page. And I also, Cincy Music co-hosts them and cross-streams them. So if you follow Cincy Music, you're going to get notifications. If you follow the library, you'll get notifications. Uh Uh-huh. And so what albums have been discussed so far? So the first one we discussed, we had uh, local hip-hop musician Grand Ace and local uh, documentary maker Sierra Cruder on, and we talked about Anderson Pack's Oxnard album. On the second episode, which uh, I don't have the dates memorized off the top of my head, early March, we had Jason Snell, who is a local designer, and he was the front man of Man Halen, the world's best Van Halen tribute band, and that's my description because uh, I saw them live, and it's absolutely true. We did Van Halen's Fair Warning, which is kind of like the black sheep of the uh, you know the outlier of the David Lee Roth era. And then just last night, we talked with Brian Devendorf, the drummer of the National, but we really oh, didn't do yeah. a specific album for him, you know, for a lot of reasons. He had a lot of things going on, and I just thought if you have someone like that on the show, it's oh, a sure. better idea to find out what they're doing than yeah, yeah. talk about an album. Sure. Okay. 
And is there an album that, because when, when I uh, read the email that was sent out by uh, Lisa, your colleague, uh, immediately my suggestion sprung to mind. Because uh, <laughs> so, that's always an, a, a go-to album for me when people talk about you know albums by a, a popular group that everybody hates. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is there one that, for you that comes to mind where you think, oh, this is a great album and n- no one believes me, even though people like the, the artist? Yeah, I think the one that comes to mind is Monster by R.E.M. Oh, interesting. And it's starting to get a little more love now. And, you know, I I always thought for a while, do I like it as much as I do? Because it was one of, it might have been, I think it might have been the first CD I ever bought. Um, So it's like, is there a nostalgia thing? But then I went back and listened and I'm like, no, this is great. It's sloppy. It's messy. It's distorted and staticky. But everyone hated it then. And I didn't know it because I was a kid. But uh, yeah, that's that's, that's probably my main one. That's interesting. So a buddy of mine has a music podcast uh, called Rock Solid. And uh, he had this thing going where he wanted people to go to Goodwills and UCD stores and pick up copies of Monster because you can buy them for a buck. You sure then, can. And then send them to him. And I forgot what he was going to do with them. And I'm seeing right now if I have Monster in my iTunes. So I went back and did uh, he did an REM episode with, um, uh, he had a series of rotating co-hosts, and one of them has since moved to England, but she was a huge REM fan, a uh, comedian, mm-hmm. April Richardson. Oh. And, uh, yeah, and so she uh, they did an REM episode, so I decided to revisit, and I got the, uh, the REM albums I didn't have because um, I was there most almost from the beginning. Um, I Not for the EP in 1983, but then my friends turned me on to Murmur. Yeah. And uh, from there it was uh, it was lights out. But then, you know, as it kind of as the catalog wore on after like automatic for the people, I really started to get worn out. You know, it had been eight or nine albums or something like yeah. that. And then Monster, I didn't just like Monster for the sound. I just think I didn't think the tunes were there and it was just by the time these guys were everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you could you couldn't escape it. You would as uh, Todd Rundgren would say, you could hear it without hearing it. That, yeah, yeah, except Monster was such a departure. And everyone is like, oh, it's their grunge album. It's their grunge album, you know. And it's like, I guess it was an unfortunate time, 94, I think it was. Yeah. And I guess since they put more distortion, it became grunge. But it was more glam rocky to me than it was grungy. But uh, maybe I'm just making excuses here. Did you, did you check out the one that came after it, New Adventures in Hi-Fi? Yes, I have that too. This is, is that the song? Is Night Swimming on that? No, that's on Automatic for the People. Oh, that is um, it. Uh, Mahal, what's what's the other? Um, there is a song I like on on uh, on on that album, and I can't remember what it is. And I, I weirdly, I'm looking at my iTunes. I do not have Monster in my iTunes, which is weird because I thought I got all the REM albums, so I could do a deep dive. That is well, so strange. Well, I guess that I'll is go. not the deepest dive, then. I know. I I better go down to half price books with my dollar and get. Uh, <laughs> And get my copy of Monster. Um, so I know I must have had one at one point. I can't believe. You know what? I bet it's still sitting in my. Um, I bet it's sitting in the boxes under the stairs because what happened when I. When I first got iTunes, this is like when it first came out. Uh, computers weren't very big, right. and so I was there loading all my CDs into the computer, and I got to the letter P, uh. and the computer said, "Okay, I'm full." And I'm like, "Oh shoot!" So I had to go back and kind of like. <laughs> judiciously just pick songs from certain albums by people and so i don't have i've since had to go back and put whole albums in but oh here's electrolyte that's the song i like from electrolyte yeah that's a great song i mean that's that just sounds like a good old-fashioned rem song that's new adventures in hi-fi is honestly one of my favorite 
REM albums, period. Mostly I like the older stuff. Yeah. But I think, you know what? I might actually want to talk about New Adventures in Hi-Fi for the show instead of Monster because I think it's just completely overlooked. It is just so Oh, yeah, so for sad. sure. Um, as big as a hit as it was, I still enjoy Out of Time. I'm not sure it's my – boy, what would be my favorite – uh, fables, reckoning. I would say reckoning overall as an album. Yeah. Although, what I find a lot with um, my favorite is it. Maybe this is the case for you, or maybe other music fans like this. My favorite song by a band doesn't come from my favorite album by that band. Oh sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a common thing. For okay. Sure. I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't sure. I'm not really a big album person. Is the other problem. Uh, exacerbated by the fact that my iTunes couldn't hold whole albums, <laughs> so I had to be really judicious. But when I was a kid, you know, growing up. Uh, in the 70s, we didn't have any money. I mean, I could buy yeah. a single for a dollar, but buying an album was like a, a major purchase. So, I am like mercilessly and very opinionated. I, I am an album person through and through. And it's like a constant battle on road trips with my spouse because, you know, she wants to bounce around songs. Oh, because sure. She's a normal person and only wants to listen to the things that are good. Yeah, Whereas yeah. I have this thing I can't get over of if we put on an album, we're going to listen to it all the way through. Yeah, there may be a song I don't like, but I am listening to the whole thing. And that's not normal and it's not okay. And I'm going to try to be a better person. <laughs> Do you skip the speed bumps, as we call them? Only if it's particularly egregious. Uh, I usually I will say, you know what? I really do truly like this album. And if I listen to it for decades, maybe I will end up liking that song that I don't like. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's very few albums I can listen to all the way through with no speed bumps. But uh, yeah, I've tried to be an album person because all like my people I know that like my friend that does the podcast in LA, of course, you know, that are I would consider better music fans. They're all album people. But you know, I grew up yeah. listening to the radio, and that's that's and I would sit the, the name of my podcast, my personal podcast, is PF's Tape Recorder, and it comes from twelve year old me sitting in the den uh, with a microphone up to the speaker announcing <laughs> records like I was a DJ. So that's just in my DNA to that's to, awesome to not be an album person, but nonetheless to try and be an album person. Do you so, still have tapes making? I do uh, not. Those? No, those are all oh. in my mom's attic. And uh, no, the, old, the oldest recordings I have are me uh, actually on the radio. My first professional radio gig when I lived in Pittsburgh, my dad recorded them. Uh, I was on a scratchy AM station in another suburb, and he uh, recorded me. Did air, he made my air checks for me oh. uh, on the, yeah. So I have, a, I have a couple of those, but no, I don't have any. No surviving original PS tape recorders. Oh, that is a bummer. Of, that would be much sought after. I know. I used to do my own uh, top tens. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's great. Oh yeah, yeah. I was I was such a nerd. So maybe yeah. I'll become a song person when I finally bite the bullet and start doing streaming services. But I don't use any of those still. You know what streaming service I use? Which one? Freakle. There you go. <laughs> the library. That's like that's the point I make. Like, why would you pay for this stuff? Between well, borrowing CDs if you need to, we have records too. Freegal yeah. and Hoopla. It's going to be rare when you don't find something you want. Well, Freegal, uh, I recommend everybody. And if you don't know, just go to the library website, and I mm -hmm. think it. I have to just type in the search bar now, Freegal, and you can find mm -hmm. it that way. But it's mm -hmm. free with your library card. The uh, yep. only problem with it, it's got, I would say, about a third of major label releases because it's got Sony and, yep. and BMG. But it doesn't have anything from, like, Uni or Capital. So a lot of it – doesn't, it doesn't have a lot of stuff, but it does have a lot of great stuff. You get seven free downloads a week. You can stream to your heart's mm -hmm. content. No yep. limits. So um, it's pretty handy. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the – I. I'll use Spotify. My daughters have subscriptions. My wife uh, piggybacks onto one of their subscriptions. I'll use the free one. 
because yeah. I, I get the handiness of it. It's like, oh, I haven't heard such and such song. Or like, is this the song I'm thinking of? Or if I need to find the original version, I'm not sure it's in Freegal, if it's been a re-recorded version, I'll do that. But yeah, yeah the, the the streaming thing, let, let's stop pretending everything, all music ever made is in Spotify because it's not. It's not. <laughs> in fact, no. I'll tell you a funny story real quick. I'm in the OMD Facebook group uh, there on the on my Facebook and someone just posted the other day in Sweden. They said, hey, I went to listen to Architecture and Morality live, and it's not on Spotify anymore. Anybody in mm-hmm. any other country is having the same problem. And everyone's like, it's not here. It's gone. Missing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, stuff and, just disappears. Well, yeah, I, that's so funny you say that because I think it was just Tuesday of this week. My, you know, my buddies give me a hard time about, you know, they'll send me like, songs on Spotify or playlists and stuff. And I'm like, guys, I'm not just not going to do this. And like <laughs> one of our shared all time favorite albums just disappeared from Spotify. Who knows when in the last couple of weeks. And he was like, you know, maybe your old fashioned way of doing this is the right way. And I'm like, yeah, I actually have it on vinyl. I'm going to go throw it on right now and listen to it. And, so, and what album would yeah. that be? It was uh, like, I think it was 1999 or 2000. It was one of the, uh, a genre called mathcore. It's it's basically heavy metal, but it's like oh. super complex time signatures. Oh, music theory yeah, out yeah. the wazoo. They, they were called botch, and the uh, album was called We Are the Romans. Okay, yeah. See, so like obscure stuff like that. It's you know somebody buys the rights to it, or they're packaged with some other groups, and someone buys mm-hmm. the rights to that, and then it disappears. There's a a, a young man people may remember, probably uh, from your generation, Drake Bell. Uh, off of Josh and Drake. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he was, he fancied himself a musician and he's had a, quite a musical career. One of his albums, he co-wrote with a guy and it goes on Spotify and it comes off Spotify because they're Ooh. fighting back and forth over who owns the rights. <laughs> so he'll, he'll, he'll win a lawsuit and then it'll go back on Spotify so he can make a couple of pennies, literally. And then his, the, the guy here with the album, they'll say, no, you still owe me royalties and he'll file an injunction and he'll get taken off Spotify. <laughs> Yeah, and they're likely not going to spend the money to come to your house and take a physical format from you. No, so exactly. you're safe on that. Now, but, but I do go back. You said you mentioned Capitol Records specifically. Off the top of my head, I don't know what record labels are and aren't on them, but we also have a service called Hoopla. Yes. And I know Capitol's on there because I Yeah, you can stream to, a ton from Hoopla. Yeah, that's where I listen to my Megadeth stuff. Okay, so, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. You can, capital. You, can, you can borrow. I think there's borrowing limitations there too. But yeah, this is all free your library, people. If yep. you're not, if you're not, if you're not on board, man, you are, you are missing out. I always tell my, uh, I teach podcasting to the young people, uh, and in the Super Saturday program. And the first thing I tell them is, if you want to get music for your podcast, uh, go to Freegal. And mm-hmm. It's all there. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so you do the two podcasts, mm-hmm. basically. And how did you get mixed up doing the West End podcast? Because, uh, of course, Key was on explaining how she got it started. But how did you get get pulled in? Yeah, so uh, Key worked in my department. I worked in the Information and Reference Department. And when she was first hired by the Cincinnati Public Library, she worked in the Information and Reference Department. So I got to know her there. And while she was still there, we really planned. She, I'm, like I'm taking credit for that here, It's this is all Key before I should say. Uh, She had the idea to start out maybe doing a video series. And so, you know, things changed with that. And when it turned over to the pandemic and it turning into an audio thing, you know, we were still talking about it. And I was like, you know, I have some audio editing experience and I think this is important. So we just trudged on. Yeah, so for listeners on the other side of the uh, interview, I will tell you which episode number that was. It was back in January we talked to Key, 
And mm-hmm. uh, it's great fun talking about uh, the West End and now the revitalized West End with the, the new stadium and so forth. Um, do you work at the main branch or are you at the West End branch? Or do you kind of bounce around? How do you... No, I'm, uh, I say I'm a reference librarian. Specifically, I'm the grants resource librarian. So I help nonprofits use a specific resource we have called the Foundation Directory Online. Uh, So I help them get hooked up with foundation funders for their nonprofits. And I also do a series of classes each month for grant seeking and grant finding for nonprofits. But I'm, I'm based out of the downtown main branch for sure. Okay, so you don't move around too much. You just stay there. No, I'll go, you know, if someone wants a presentation on grants or the database, I'll go anywhere in the city or across the river into Kentucky as well. So I've done lots of presentations for folks at branches, but everything's okay. housed out of the, the grants resource center is at the main library. Oh, OK. And this is another service where you can help. So this helps nonprofits acquire grants or find grants that may be applicable to them. Yeah, the, the 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 most common problem that people new to the grant seeking world have is they only think of the largest names in the foundation funding world. And it's not about who has the most money, which foundations have the most money and name recognition. It's all about what foundations have a history of funding your cause. And uh-huh. most of the funding out there comes from smaller family foundations you've never heard of. So this database you don't search for specific foundations. You type in what kind of nonprofit you are, where you do your mission, and the specific population you do it for, and it returns funders who have funded your causes in the past. Ah, because maybe the the, the family endowment, maybe the, the the dude that passed away or the or the lady was passionate about bike trails or nature right. preserves. Ah, exactly. Interesting. Yep. Very cool. So in, in the course of your day, uh, how often are you listening to music? Is it a drive into work or walking around? What's the, what kind of a music fan are you in that respect? Uh, it is, I, uh, it's off-putting how much I have music on to most folks. It's, it's generally always, um, except, you know, I say that, but now that I think about it, I can't have background music on in a weird way because that ends up distracting me. But if I'm in the car, if I'm walking the dogs, if I have, oh, I have 30 seconds where I'm going to walk from the house to the garage to grab something and come back, I'm probably going to put some kind of music in. Yes, yeah, I have the same problem. If I'm, if I'm cooking and stuff like that, I can put on some tunes. But right. if I'm working, I really can't have music on in the background for that very same reason. It's where I can have TV on in the background and yeah. it won't really use like the news or something because it won't distract Agreed. me. Plus, they repeat it over and over again. So even if I miss something, I'll, I'll get <laughs> yeah. it again. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, so what kind of things you're listening to these days? Oh man. Um, you know, I would say at this point, 99% of what I listen to is the death metal and noisy electronic type stuff. Um, the last thing that I listened to was an album by a German band called defeated sanity. And that was the last thing I put on the turntable oh, wow. this morning. So, so new stuff, old stuff? Uh, they're an old band, but yeah, this is their, this is their newest new record. Okay, interesting. Huh. The kid was asleep, so it was okay. Uh, the, was the, the rule in the house is if I'm listening to anything where the vocals sound like, you know, screaming or cookie monster, I have to have it on headphones. But he was asleep, so I yeah, my, um, put it out. My oldest went through what you call, uh, I guess, the, she listened to a lot of screamo bands. When yes. Was, there was a... Uh, 
there was kind of a, um, a, a, a Venn diagram of the kind of what they called scene bands. And then <laughs> there was this crossover, some of the screamo bands, like who, like Falling in Reverse and um, who was the other one? Uh, Pierce the Veil. But then yeah. they would also end up on t- these massive tours with a lot more mild stuff, like more like pop rock bands like The Somerset yeah. and All Time Low and people like that. M- most of the, uh, what was the Vans Warp Tour bands. But, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so so we we dipped our toe in those waters, and um, and uh, some of it was fine. I mean, you know, not as not as harsh as you. But there are a lot of me- melodies going on. There's some some good tunes in there. Uh, got a little taxing after a while. <laughs> yeah, screamo is that genre that I dipped my toe into for a while. I was probably right on the cusp of being too old for it. Right when uh, it started becoming a yeah. thing with bands like Thursday and thrice and things like that but i i so sometimes i'm like i I don't know if i'm gonna listen to that anymore but i was way into it for (laughs) a little while yeah i remember we saw uh i don't know what who the headliner was but one of the support acts was uh, it was a a lady screamo singer and she was in a band called i wrestled a bear and Uh, i remember i I was in the bear once yeah is that it yeah i wrestled a bear okay so i uh, was in the balcony my daughter was down in uh in what we call the pit but not in the actual pit it's still a running gag with us by the way um <laughs> uh but i was listening to i wrestled a bear once and i texted my wife and said i think this poor lady is actually being eaten by a bear uh, <laughs> now see that's that, the kind of vocals a, i go for that's, that's, that's my man. thing yeah well that's the thing though is like and i hate to I, I, I hate to sound misogynistic about it but i just i don't think it was a matter of fact that she was it was a girl doing it it's it just a matter but it just I think some people have a voice for it, and, and some people don't. And I don't. Yeah, that's true. I don't think they may have because, like you know, Pierce the Veil and Falling in Reverse and all those guys. I, I, I had you know, I could take that for you know half hour, forty five minutes. I didn't have any problem with that. But um, I'm trying to think what the name of the group was. We saw. I don't think they were a screamo, but they were kind of. Mm. Uh, I see stars. I think they're from Detroit. I think it was I, them. That sounds familiar. I don't know if th- that name sounds familiar, but I don't think I'm familiar with them yet. Well, so anyway, they were up on stage, and they kept in- they really wanted to get some slam dancing going at Bogart. <laughs> and so they kept saying, we want to see this pit open up. So that's been a running gag. My daughter's 23 now and works at the Rock and Roll <laughs> Hall of Fame in Cleveland. But we still, to this day, whenever we're at a concert, we'll always say, we want the pit to open up, no matter who we're seeing. <laughs> we're at Bunbury. We're like, is the- we'll ask you, this: has the pit opened up yet? So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I was never really into, you know, going into the middle of all that well, that nonsense. But my my buddy and I went to see one of our favorite bands when we were a lot younger, like, you know, like late teens. And we were the oldest people there. And we had this moment, like, I guess, as you say, the pit opened up. Yeah. And for whatever reason, even though we were like mid-30s, pushing 40s, that was the time we decided, yeah, let's go see what this is all about. And Oh, my God. Oh, that car ride home and the next day was Ooh. just, there's like, there was a reason we didn't do that even when yeah, we were yeah. kids. Yeah, well, <laughs> weirdly, people would do that at They Might Be Giants shows, which you would think, They Might Be Giants, would people would slam dance? Oh, yes, sir, what? they would. Yeah, yeah. And they would try to stop it. And so the, the one show, I forget where it was, it might have been here or Cleveland, but people were doing that and it was distracting from the show and so they said they said hey look we're not going to tell you don't slam dance or we won't play but if you continue to slam dance we will play badly <laughs> and then everybody ha 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 everybody got the joke and then everybody kind of stopped and they still did the bunny hop through the crowd but yeah slam dance gonna they might be giant show great i kid you not um i i'm baffled by that but it also makes me happy well you know so. <laughs> 
quick, fast, some of those songs are, you know, quick, fast songs, Ramones-esque. That's true. Yeah, so you can kind of get, get gets the young people, you know, you, you, you ask people about the rock and roll, they say the beat, the beat, the beat. Um, yeah. It's a famous clip from uh, some rock and roll documentary. Um, <laughs> back, uh, you, backing up a little bit, you were talking about vinyl. Uh, are you yeah. a big vinyl guy? Yeah, I am. I got to admit, like when that trend hit, I, I totally jumped on the bandwagon wholeheartedly. I there's this is so corny. And this is like one of those things. I, I bet if I heard someone else say this, I would probably roll my eyes. <laughs> but I like the ritual of it. I, you know, yes, I, everything I have on vinyl, I have on my phone, you know, through mm-hmm. just, you know, ripping them and right, you know, right. listening to them. But I it. it makes you pay attention because if you want to keep listening, you're going to have to get up and flip it. And so you got to kind of stay focused on it. I still really love liner notes and artwork. So I like having that bigger packages and, you know, as I I like collecting, so I will totally get suckered in of like a band will be like our new albums on this red opaque marble color limited to 100 pressings. And I'm like, well, I guess I have to buy that. Right. You know, <laughs> well, and I guess too the, um, the modern day pressings are like on a, a, a better weight of a vinyl or something like that. I heard an interview with like my other favorite band, the lead singer was saying, yeah, the, all these, these albums sound great now, better than the mass produced mm-hmm. ones from the eighties because you know, they're, there and I think that sometimes they'll break up the like Peter Gabriel does this. He breaks up his the, he re-released his catalog. We broke them up so like all the single albums are now double albums because it's only yeah. like three songs aside and, and right. all that. And it's like yeah. And so when you started listening to music, you didn't originally buy on vinyl. What was your were you a CD kid cassette? What was well, my parents bought on vinyl, so I remember oh, okay. uh, listening to their country music on vinyl. Like that's ah. honestly some of my earliest memories was listening to vinyl. I had the Chipmunks Christmas album on vinyl. Ah. And I remember listening to that. But yeah, you know, it was cassette at first. That was my okay. main deal. Yeah. The, you know, the cassettes of like the Alice in Chains albums that my parents wouldn't let me buy. I'd give money to my friends at school and they'd go buy them for <laughs> me. And then, you know, CDs after that. And yeah. Yeah. I had grew up with vinyl and then I would record them onto cassette for convenience because right. um, I think the and somebody told me and it just stuck with me that oh if you record the vinyl onto a, a high quality cassette it's better than the mass produced ones, uh, which I guess turned out to be true, but um, you had yeah. to have a good stereo for that. But then when, once CDs came out, if I could get it on CD, I sold the vinyl because I didn't see having the point of having. Sure. So I'll, I have a, a box down here in my basement of stuff that either never came out on CD or a bunch of twelve inch singles which w- have never been uh, released on. DVD, but my daughter's in the vinyl now, and uh, yeah. it's like, and like my friend, my friend Pat out in California always, said, and he's two years older than me. He grew up with vinyl too. He's like, yeah, let me get the most inconvenient format for music I can <laughs> find. Let me, like you just said, let me walk across the room and turn this over. And it's like, and I, some of the albums I still have, my daughter bought a new turntable, so she gave me her old one. It's sitting right down <laughs> here behind me. And sometimes it's just yeah. for nostalgia reasons, I'll throw it on. There's an OMD album I have. It's not on uh, CD. Oh, wow. And some yeah. of the, there's different mixes on it. And I've, I've ripped them into my iTunes, but it's fun to put the album on and hear them that way. So, just, so OMD, how, how in the weeds do we want to go on this musical discussion? Because, you know, they were on Factory Records. 
right? No, they were on. Well, they were on a subsidiary of Factory called Dindisk. Were they? Yes, they were. Um, they were buddies with uh, New Joy Division at the time. Right. They kind right, of did exactly. a lot of shows with them. Tony Wilson was their manager. His uh, yep. wife heard their cassette. Uh, for electricity for their song. She goes, you should sign these guys. And he's like, eh, I don't really think that's that's me. Well, she wound up founding a record label uh, called Dindisk under Factory, and then it was distributed by Virgin, and the first group she signed was OMD. There we go. Yeah, yeah. so a uh, little bit wrong on that one, so maybe you'll be able to clear this up for me too. U2's very first single, I know it was recorded by Martin Hannett. Factory uh, I records. don't know because I know they were trying yeah. to get. In fact, yeah. someone just posted in one of the new wave groups I met on Facebook a rejection letter they got from RSO Records, uh, mm-hmm. the label at the time of the Bee Gees in the late seventies, and it said, "Good luck All with right. your future endeavors." And people were like, wow. ah, "Nice going, dude. <laughs> Good call." Yeah, Martin Hannett, who did a lot of those Factory Records stuff, recorded their first big, or I guess worldwide single. I don't yeah. know if they were ever signed to Factory, but yeah, interesting connection. No, they were um, they were signed to CBS eventually in yeah. Ireland and England. The American CBS label passed. They said, no, thank you. <laughs> so they had to sign a separate deal with Island. That's why they were on Island Records for those first couple of albums. Um, oh. All those albums up through, I think, up through uh, maybe even Rattle and Hum are all on Island because they signed a long-term deal here with them, yeah. where in the rest of the world, they were on uh, CBS slash Sony. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, and actually, I'm going to jump again to something you said. I almost forgot about this. You talked about those vinyl singles that you have, yeah. like the seven inches that are only on that. If anyone has any records that they can't find anywhere else, like online to purchase, you can come to the library's makerspace and convert your vinyl over oh. to digital. There you go. Yeah. Like I have a bunch of 12 inch singles that are, um, I think some of them I finally have tracked down on, uh, on digital. I was in one of the groups and this guy said, Oh, I just got this CD single from, and I'm like, you know what? I have that on vinyl. Could you like digitize that for me? And people started attacking me going, you're taking money out of Paul and Andy's pockets. That's the two guys in OMD. I'm like, I bought it for $12 in 1988. They've got my money. I just want a a good digital version because even the one I ripped isn't that great. And so, believe me, they've, they've, they've made a lot of money off me, kids. Don't worry. Paul and Andy will be also, just fine. How many people would have to push play on YouTube or Spotify for, to make that $12 that you spent? Oh, exactly. It's so. crazy. Yeah, that's, that is the, uh, the other thing I'm, I'm anti-streaming for is uh, because, well, I, it's, it's positive and it's negatives. The bands are making har- almost no money. Yeah, but it is better democratized because you know in the olden days they would get it if you heard it in the store or yeah. you know out at a, a big event or something like that. The way the licensing arrangement, they kind of had to guess at what was getting played. At least with yeah. streaming, you get an act like if your song gets played, then you do get paid. So I, I right. do get that. I used to think the artists need to be getting more money. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's so I don't know if there will ever ever be a good way to do this. Yeah. moving forward. I, I just, I mean, I, I don't think, I can't even begin to come up with a scenario that yeah. works out well for everybody. But I mean, the, the other, other, only other reason I use streaming or Spotify, like I'm at the Cincy Shirts Warehouse, maybe I'll, I'll do Spotify because I think, well, I do sure. have my iPod, I can listen to the Beach Boys or OMD on, but at least they'll make a couple of cents if I use Spotify. So for, that, Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, that's true. Because you always want your bands, you always want your bands to make money. Um, yeah. so they can make more records. Um, exactly. So, so on the pod, you said you've, there's been a total of what ten episodes now. No, there's been three that have aired. Yeah, but there's three, six I have in the can. Six more so that are going to come up. Yeah. Okay. So, and so, how deep into the weeds do people go on on their uh, on their bands and their artists and stuff? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I purposely try to steer guests to picking more well-known albums. Okay. Because uh, I, I don't want this to be, I want this to be as inclusive as possible. So I want, you know, someone sees the red notification on Facebook goes up and they're like, oh, what's this about? They turn it on. I don't want to be talking about, you know, my favorite Joy Division rehearsal tape. You know, yeah. I, I, I want him to be like, oh, I know who Weezer is. And so I, I really want it to be for casual music fans. Yeah. And hopefully the fact that we're talking about laughable albums. Well, it's debatable whether they're laughable. That will also appeal to the music snob. So, no, we really try to not get too far into the musical weeds. We try to keep it on the surface and okay. light and funny. Cool. Well, that makes sense, because like you said, you know, a lot. even if you're a big music fan, you may not be familiar with that particular artist in depth enough to enjoy the minutia but right, still right but and interesting enough, like i'll watch a rock uh, a rockumentary about anybody like me the, too the, me like too the, i just watched the bg's documentary oh i gotta i've got gotta check that out um yeah like the, my my favorite behind the music ever is about a band that i never really cared for very much it sticks i haven't seen that one no yeah, it was huh. on it's probably on youtube by now but when vh1 did those behind the music specials and the the best thing about it is uh most of the band hates Dennis DeYoung. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and the funniest quote in the whole thing is Tommy Shaw. They're talking about the Mr. Roboto album, which is the only single of theirs I ever bought. I liked Mr. Roboto. Sure. Um, sure. So, but anyway, but Tommy Shaw is talking about it. I guess Dennis DeYoung kind of took a heavy hand with that. And it was really like his, his project, and they all just kind of went along with it. And uh, so he wrote all the songs on the album, and they have a cut to Tommy Shaw saying, because <laughs> I don't know what it was. I couldn't think of any songs about robots. <laughs> Just <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever heard. And then he tells a story about their, when they're in Dallas performing it. There's this big, long, acted-out introduction they do to the to the set, and Tommy Shaw's trying to tell Dennis DeYoung, "Let's not do this. Let's just go into the album." No, no, we have to. And Tommy Shaw's sitting there playing this stupid part, going, "We're gonna get killed. This audience is gonna try, and they're going to kill us." <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I definitely got to go back. I, you know, yeah, like you, Styx is not one of my favorite bands, and I would not yeah, say I know that much about them. But I guarantee you, I would love that documentary. I, I know, can't it, imagine there's a band I would not watch a documentary on. It's, it's kind of funny you uh, you asked if we're going obscure or we keeping it, um, you know, more popular. It, I think, wanting to keep the show a little more accessible and popular cost me a good guest that I had on the hook to do a show. Pretty from a pretty well-known band, hmm. but in email, I don't think I could get across what I was going for. And so okay. finally, this person wrote back, and I, I guess I bared my musical soul, and I felt like an idiot, but I was like, well, I thought I might talk about albums by, like, Third Eye Blind that I like, and Veruca Salt, and he wrote back, and he's like, yeah, none of those albums appeal to me. I'm not sure if this is the right fit. And I was uh, like, I wanted to be like, no, 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 it is that you don't get the point. You can make fun of me for liking them. Huh. But yeah, in that case, it, I guess it backfired a little. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess, yeah, I guess you have to kind of be judicious, but at least you have a, um, I guess you have a, a, a focus and kind of, you know, a, a, it isn't all hodgepodgey where you just right. anybody. Yeah, so that, that's good that you have a, a focus for that. I, I think the album I've chosen qualifies. Um, well, tell them what it was. Tell it, them what it was. Uh, 15 Big Ones by the Beach Boys from 1976, yeah. which produced a, a top five hit, so people know it from that. And <laughs> people know the Beach Boys. And uh, people loved the Beach Boys at this point in their career, although at this point they were what they call a, a jukebox act. Yeah. And that they were mostly touring on their old hits, but still releasing new material, which they would play one or two songs from. But uh, yeah. So we will well, 
hope in the coming when we weeks. When we record this, it will be interesting for me because I'm going to tell you something and you might automatically like end this recording and decide not to do the show with me. I have not heard a ton of Beach Boys. Uh, and well, this will be the first full album of theirs that I have ever listened to when I listen to it. They are the, uh, I would say they are probably America's most hated, adored band, uh, possibly tied with the Eagles, another band that a lot of people love and a lot Oof. of people despise. So <laughs> I'm on, I'm on, I'm on the, the camp of the former on that one, or the latter, I mean, the yeah. latter. I mean, the Eagles. I, I like some of the hit singles. They're fine. You know, I've, I don't dislike them. It's it's very Beach Boy adjacent. They were kind of, you know, influenced by the Beach Boys. So sure. I'm not I'm not too upset with the Eagles. But again, if it comes on, I don't, I don't mind listening to it. I won't shut it off, but it's nothing I'm going to put on myself. But yeah, the, the Beach Boy. And we'll, dis, we'll discuss that more in depth, guys, when uh, I am on uh, your my favorite album is terrible. Yeah. Because this album popped yeah. right into my head. <laughs> yeah, it'll be perfect. I, even, uh, even Beach Boy yeah, fans hate it. I, I don't know why, you know, everyone has those bands where you're like, I like this genre of music. Everyone likes them. I, there are bands that are forever going to be on your, oh, I need to listen to more of them list. Yeah, yeah. And embarrassingly, the Beach Boys are one of those for me. Yeah, it is weird. There's a lot of, uh, you know, like, like I said, I'm a big new wave daddy from the 80s, but I have this little, a short list of people that I need to go back and listen to that I've, I know friends listen to and it's like, uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Lloyd Cole and the Commotions are two that come to mm-hmm. mind. Were pretty mm-hmm. big in the 80s, especially over in Britain. I know very few songs by them. It's a, they were just kind of in a blind spot. So yeah, I gotta get that. And Freegal can help me catch up on some of those. Some this not. is very true. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And you know what? When we don't have it on Freegal, you might want to check that we have it on physical. We have, you know, vinyl as well as CDs oh, that you can yeah, check yeah. out. But we're also really good about purchasing things if you suggest a purchase for us. Okay. Oh, cool. Great. Well, uh, then, yeah, folks, do use that library card, and uh, we we had some from the uh, the uh, genealogy department on a couple months ago. Oh, cool! And you can do all kinds of a deep dives there, and Absolutely. Uh, there's the old newspaper yep. resources. Yeah, I don't think people uh, are are fully appreciating the library. So that, with every guest we have on from the library, <laughs> I think you're our fourth or fifth person now, and it's weird too. Everybody has like this completely different specialty within the library. Yeah, it's just so cool. It's true. Yeah. Um, well, true. well, our last order of business uh, on these things is uh, we let the guest pick a, a coupon code. And what this does is it lets our listeners get 20% off their uh, next purchase at CincyShirts.com, the store in Hyde Park, the physical store. The Over the Rhine store will be reopening very soon. You can use the coupon code there for the week that the podcast is up. And uh, so as the guest, what would you like the coupon code to be for the next week? Well, let's do... Terrible music. All right, perfect. All right, so terrible music, kids. Use that to take 20% off uh, your CincyShirts.com order, OldSchoolShirts.com, or either go to either of our physical stores and you can and use it there. And, uh, boy, well, uh, appreciate you doing this uh, today uh, and taking the time, Kent. Um, people can find the podcast where? Well, it's uh, going to be on Facebook Live. Okay. It's going to be on Facebook Live. So just be checking. The, the, we'll do announcements for it on the library's Facebook page. So follow the library on oh, Facebook. Okay, follow Cincy Music on Facebook, which Cincy Music is the source for local music. Their website, right. their mm-hmm. Facebook page, their social media. You'll uh, learn about it there. And yeah, April 1st, uh, manager of our Oakley branch, we're going to talk about pop. And I have to plug April 29th, we are going to have the Ophelias on, which is a, they're New York now, but they're signed to a fantastic label. They're just a fantastic band from Cincinnati. And I was starstruck 
talking to them for this episode. Nice. And can people go back and into the archives and get previous episodes? How do you do that? Is that can you do that in Facebook? Oh, yeah, or? yeah, yeah. Go to the libraries or Cincy Music, really. Go to their Facebook page, and you'll see the live tab. Mm-hmm. And it's there. But we're also okay. starting to put the episodes up on the library's YouTube channel as well. Oh, great. Okay, super. All right. Well, very good then. Well, folks, go back and listen to uh, My Favorite Album is Terrible and the West End Stories podcast, right? Uh, please, yeah. It's just so fantastic getting folks who were there when the West End really experienced those changes around the yep. 50s here and getting giving them a chance to tell their stories. Yeah, even if you're not from the West End, if you're just like a fan of Cincinnati history, because there's a, face, a couple Facebook pages I'm on, old photos of Cincinnati and old Cincinnati. Yes. If you're into any of that kind of stuff, this, this is definitely the show for you. All yeah, right. Please. Well, again, uh, thanks for joining us, Kent, and uh, you can get back to your uh, to your young one that's and hopefully it'll be <laughs> better. And uh, we'll yeah. talk to you. I'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thank great. you so much for this. This All was right. great. All right. Thanks, Kent. Mulcahy. That tune there is a little foreshadowing of the uh, episode I'm going to be on of My Favorite Album is Terrible. Uh, Recording date and release date TBD, as they say. But you can find My Favorite Album is Terrible uh, on Facebook Live, and of course you can visit your local library online at cincinnatilibrary.org, or you can visit in person as you feel comfortable, and as you know, hours the library hours vary. Just go to the website, and they'll fill you in on everything that they can. you can do at your local library, everything you can do online, and uh, when things will be open up uh, completely, again, post-pandemic. Now be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, uh, including folks who may no longer live in the area, but still feel connected to the tri-state. As always, go back and uh, plunder those Cincy Shirts podcast archives from baseball great Johnny Bench to actress Amy Yazbeck. We've got tons and tons of great episodes back there. You'll enjoy them all. I guarantee it. Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. Find their music on iTunes, Spotify, or where else you get your music. I was trying to get that guy on the show, the uh, the main songwriter, the guy that wrote Cincinnati. Last spring, he was a, a bit down on the idea since we were in the middle of the pandemic. We're still in the pandemic, uh, even though hopefully we're at the tail end of it. So hopefully we'll get him on the show soon and he can tell us about the song and why he wrote it and uh, all that fun stuff. But again, again, in the meantime, check them out on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, they're very nice to let us use their song as our theme song, so please do that. Find vintage cheese from great places like Philadelphia, Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, a whole bunch more. There's like 32 cities now at oldschoolshirts.com. Lots of defunct sports teams, old restaurants, old malls, TV personalities, radio stations, stuff like that. It's like Cincy shirts, but for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is terrible music, all one word, all lowercase, all uppercase, that part doesn't matter. You're going to use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order, or you can go to our Hyde Park store and use it. And uh, Over the Rhine should be opening any day now. Stay tuned on our social channels for that. You can use the code there as well, at least for the next week until the next podcast episode drops. So follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye.
never said goodbye I wish I said goodbye